um, as he's coming, uh, Linda and I were looking for a place to eat on Wednesday, and we decided on the 99 house there in Vernon, and we pulled into the 99, and Linda said, who's speaking Sunday? I said, David Lemoyne. Ah, excellent. And our car was facing the huge Chinese buffet sign. And we said, we have to go there in honor of our speaker. And I'll tell you what, it was wonder. It was great. And he mentioned this, for all you that don't know, he mentioned it about six months ago. And I, being a, not a doer of the word, I guess, I didn't follow up, but it's, on, it's one of my favorites now, David, so thank you for speaking truth. All right. Bud didn't just have dinner. He got sanctified. <laughs> Let's see. This morning's message is entitled, Run, Philip, Run. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8. Verses 26 through 40. But before we begin, I'd like to have a word in prayer. Father, this is your place. This is your people. This is your hour. This is your work. This is your mission field. This is for your glory. Father, we pray that this morning that your spirit would be free, that you would take captive every thought, that your scripture would be breathed into the deep recesses of our heart and soul, that we would be corrected, that we would be encouraged, that we might be admonished, but that we might be more like Jesus. And we pray these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a question. What does a devout Buddhist, a rowdy biker couple, a gay rights activist, a manipulative drug addict, an unscrupulous attorney, a radical Muslim, a 20-something single mom, a Jew, a New Age witch, a divorcee, and an atheist all have in common? They're the future church in America. Don't miss that. They are the future church in America. Great things were happening in, in Jerusalem. People were gathering from all across the globe. The disciples had the mandate for Jesus to go and make disciples to the uttermost parts of the world, but they had found themselves a comfort zone. They had come to a place in their life where they were comfortable with their lifestyle. They were comfortable with their friends. They were comfortable with their church. They were comfortable with their denomination. They were simply at peace, and they were comfortable. And God used a unique tool called persecution to bring about discomfort to his people. He started using the government, and he used the enemies of the church to poke and to prod and to make God's people become so uneasy and so uncomfortable that they actually had to fear for their lives before they moved out of their comfort zone. And that is precisely the climate in which we find this passage in terms of what Philip represents 
and the work that Jesus Christ did through the life of Philip. There is a clarion call to you and I and to the church that we are to move out of our comfort zones. We're to be sensitive to people that are lost and hopeless and dying without Jesus. And there's a clarion call that we would be right there in the crossroads of life of people that we come across day in and day out on our everyday activities that we would be sensitive to offer the reason for the hope that is so deeply seated in the recesses of our heart and our soul. So let's begin with this passage of scripture. I'm going to be reading from the message just because it speaks uh, freshly to me time and time again. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 40. Later God's angels spoke to Philip. At noon today, I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He got up and went. He met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia, where he was the minister in charge of all the finances for the queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, climb into that chariot running up alongside philip heard the eunuch reading isaiah and he asked do you understand what you're reading do you understand what you're reading he answered how can i without some help and he invited philip into up into the chariot with him and the passage he was reading was this as a sheep led to the slaughter and quiet as a lamb before shear, he was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial, but who now can count his kin since he's been taken from the earth? The eunuch said, tell me, who is this prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? Philip grabbed. Philip carpe Diem. Philip seized the moment. Philip grabbed this chance. And using this passage as a text, he preached Jesus to them. Because he knew that the greatest need of this Ethiopian eunuch was Jesus. Philip reminds us of a few things as we walk through this passage of Scripture together. First of all, he reminds us that God wants us to be in a position to participate in divine appointments. God wants each and every one of us to be in a position to participate in divine appointments. Let's go back to the text. God's angel spoke to Philip and he said, At noon today I want you to walk over to the desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Great things are happening in Jerusalem. This is the place to be. Revival is breaking out. The, the, the people that are the upper echelon within the denomination, within the religion, they're gathering together and they're exchanging ideas and thoughts and opinions. They're praying, they're fasting. This is the place to be. Things are happening here. This is Peter's great Pentecostal message where 3,000 people in one day walked the aisle. 3,000 people exploded through the doors of heaven in one sermon on one day by one man in a specific place. 
That is absolutely amazing when you think about the Word of God and how it is unfolding and it's touching people's hearts. And the church is exploding to the point that the widows' needs are being unmet. And the Grecian widows and the uh, Samaritan widows, their needs are being unmet. And they begin to start criticizing and whining and complaining as they ought to. And the elders of the church decided we need deacons. And out of the ranks, the cream of the crop that came up was none other than Philip, one of the first deacons in the church. Things are happening. He's been tapped out. He's raised to a position of authority, a place of power. And what does God do to him? He says, that didn't take long. I want you to go. I want you to go in the opposite direction of everything that you are witnessing right now. I don't want you coming to Jerusalem with the pilgrims. I want you going away from Jerusalem. I want you to go down. I want you to go south. And I want you to go down to a place that is absolutely desolate. In fact, when you think about what God is doing to Philip, you would think that he's be, being demoted among the rakes. He has worked hard. He's served hard. He's kept his life clean. He has a name and a reputation in the church. And God elevates him and then there's the demotion. I want you to go where nobody else is willing to go. I want you to go down the desolate road. Is that not true? That when you recall the great works of God in your life, the movements of God in your life, that special presence of God's spirit in your life, is it not an invitation that oftentimes is not that attractive? Because we are gravitated or we naturally gravitate to the bright lights in the big city. If we hear about a revival thousands of miles away, chances are we might hop in a car and make a road trip of it and go. But if God says, I want you to go where you will be in service of utter obscurity, no name, no reputation, no glory, no fame, no bright lights, None of the accolades, none of the attaboys, none of the pat on the backs. I want you to go where others are unwilling to go. That's a tough one. I remember coming out of uh, seminary. It's seminary now. When I first graduated, it was cemetery. But I was envious of my classmates because they were going on to the large mega churches as associate pastors and I knew what that meant in terms of pay I knew what that meant in terms of opportunity I knew what that meant in terms of networking I knew what that meant when we gathered together once a year and we got together and oh where are you serving oh I'm at First Baptist Dallas where are you at I'm at First Baptist West Palm Beach where are you at I'm in First Baptist Phoenix where are you at Stansel where? Stancil. Never heard of it. Stancil Baptist Church. See, I was one of those guys. I wanted to go to the bright lights in the big city. I wanted to go back to my home church. I was comfortable there. I had a network. I had relationships. But God had something altogether different for me. He wanted me to go to Stancil. It's that boring. It's 2,200 people. It's 35 miles west of Tuscaloosa. There's absolutely nothing there. 
It's like Mayberry turning the clock back 40 years. This is how bad it was. Sunday night service was over. My wife and our uh, friends, a couple our age, we had pizza every Sunday night. It was great. All we had to do was drive down to the gas station. Put our order in, wait in the car for 10 minutes. Get that frozen pizza. No, we didn't have Pizza Hut. We didn't have McDonald's. We didn't, we didn't have the high living stuff, Taco Bell. No, we were eating out of gas stations. I said, Lord, I can do this for three years. I know the timetable on this. Three years, I know. I can serve this church well. I can love these people. I can listen to these people. I can lead these people the way that you want me to for three, three and a half years tops. That's what you got, Lord. I'm giving my best three and a half years. Middle of preaching the message. God's spirit's moving. Oh, by the way, there'll be ever listening but never hearing they will be ever seeing but never perceiving four years went by five years went by six years went by it was grueling it was tough the monthly deacons meeting was nothing short of Hagler and Hearns. It was tough. It was grueling, but God did some great things. Brian Bailey was born and raised in church. Had trouble learning, didn't really fit in. College was completely out of the question for him. And so he bounced around from place to place, job to job, no hope, no future, no direction. He kind of found his niche in building a meth lab out behind his parents' house in the woods. In fact, he was quite good at it. Because I lived about 100 yards away from this lab in the woods, and you would have thought it was NASCAR on a Sunday afternoon up and down that road. He was very good at it. In fact, he was so good at it, he intimidated everybody in the church that for 10 years, not one church member ever had the courage or the desire to ever go down and spend just five minutes with this gentleman. I'd drive down there, I'd sit with him, I'd talk with him. He was very closed. He didn't want to share much. He thanked me for coming. I moved on. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for an opportunity. How do you want to work in this individual's life? The opportunity came when there was a shootout at 3 in the morning. The AK-47 started rattling off. The drug deal had gone bad. I had enough. I talked to the parents, prayed with the parents. They had been praying for 10 years for somebody to turn their son in to the drug task force. They knew the only hope that their son had is that the police would show up and shackle him and take him out of there and isolate him so that he could detox for a period of time and get his life straight. 
And after praying with this family and listening to them weep and cry over the agonizing pain that Hay had gone through since the age of 17 with their precious son to see his life whittle away to absolutely nothing of being a common crook, making and dealing meth, there was hope. So I went down to the task force. And wouldn't you know that they set up the stain and they busted them and they hauled them out of there. Now the parents were on board and they loved me for it. But the church members, how could you do that to him? How could you hurt their parents? How could you rob their son out of the house? How could you have the audacity to call the police? We haven't called for 30 years and we've been living here. That's precisely right. You should have called. Because without the call, there's no hope. He spent six months in the county jail. Refused my every attempt to see him. He qualified for a drug program down in Louisiana. So he spent about a year down in a drug program in Louisiana where he detoxed and he got clean. And he came back. And he came to church. And he got saved. And he invited me into his trailer. And we talked and we prayed. And about nine months later, he was going to his new job up and down the back hills of western Alabama on a two-laner when somebody came over the corner or the hill and they had had a little too much to drink that night and swerved into his lane and hit him head on. And in a moment, that was his last breath. You never know the divine appointments that God wants to put in your life, the people he wants to put in front of you, that you have an opportunity to give hope, to give promise, to give peace, and to give everlasting life. Just not the abundant life in the here and now, but for life all of eternity. And this is precisely what God was doing with Philip. God was saying to Philip, your thoughts are nothing like my thoughts. My ways are nothing. They're far beyond anything you could ever think or imagine, Philip. I just want you to be sensitive and listen to me and go down this desolate road where nobody else is willing to go. One of my favorite philosophers is Yogi Bear. And he said, if you ever come to a fork in the road, you need to take it. You ever come to a fork in the road, you need to take it. God's going to offer you, and God's going to offer me, and God's going to offer New River Community Church forks in the road. And we've got to be sensitive. And it may not be what makes us happy, and it may not please us, and it may not conform to my prejudices or my preferences, 
But we need to have the sensitivity that if God leads us to that crossroads in life, and it says go down desolate road, desolate place, desolate drive, wilderness way, we've got to be willing to go. Because there's something more important than my happiness. And there's something more important than my comfort zone. It's people that are lost. It is people that are dying. Don't miss this. They're dying. And as sure as you are living and breathing here in this world, there is a place called hell. It exists. And Jesus took the time to say, enter through the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate, and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the path. And only a few find it. Only a few find it. I grew up in a Cub Scout, so I played Little League. I played football. Let's see, what else? You name it. In my entire life, 48 years of it, I look good for 48, don't I? I got some gray coming in. I, I put on some insulation for next winter. But I'm 48 years. This is the honest to God's truth. Nobody ever pulled me aside and shared the good news of Jesus Christ. Think about your testimony. Literally, Cub Scouts. You name it. Nobody ever shared the gospel with me. I found it because I made a wreck of my life. And I knew that all options were closed. I had no place to go. I had no one in my corner. I had burned every bridge in my life. So I started going to church on Mother's Day. You know how that works, fellas. Out late Saturday night, church with a hangover, Mother's Day, flowers, shirts wrinkled, khakis wrinkled. She knows you've been out all night, but God bless moms. They put their arm around you and they say, I love you, son. Thanks for coming. I'm just glad that you're here. And I started going to church over a period of time. Unfortunately, I sat under a spirit-filled preacher that preached the cross. God's spirit worked. God's spirit drew me. And God's spirit broke me. And I came to the understanding that I could never, under any circumstances, work my way into the good graces of a holy God. And that's when the mercy and the grace and the hope and the promise and the sealing of God's Spirit ushered in. I'm not perfect. 
I trip, I stumble, I fall, but I know that I know that I know that my name's in the Lamb's book of life. But I had to go to church to find it. That ought not to be the case. Because the Ethiopian eunuch found it in a chariot on Wilderness Way. Because one solitary soul was willing to go against the grain where nobody else would go, and he had the compassion and the wisdom and the discernment to understand where this gentleman was, that he could openly and freely, with compassion, share the good news of Jesus Christ. Philip also reminds us that every heart, every heart without Jesus Christ is a mission field. Every heart, don't see people, don't see bosses, don't see people that antagonize you, don't see people that rub you the wrong way, don't see people that get under your skin, don't see people that are repulsive that you don't want to be, don't see people as they really are, because deep down in their heart and their soul, they're asking you to share something with them. Don't see them as they are. See them as they could be. See them as the ambition field. See them as the territory that God broke out in your life. I hear people whine and complain about their work environment. They go on and on and on and on, and they're miserable about the people that God has hemmed them in with. And I just want to say, you mean that God entrusted you with all that? You don't see that? This is your mission field. God has entrusted you with these souls. Just start praying. Just take the first step. Jot the name down and just start praying. That's it. We don't have to be Billy Graham. We don't have to be Spurgeon. We don't have to be D.L. Moody. We don't have to be any of these guys. We just have to be available and sensitive. And Philip reminds us that every heart without Christ is a mission field. Think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is poor. He's wearing a burlap sack in the heat of the day. Precisely the appropriate outfit to take a jog in the Middle East. I know why all those people are angry and upset. It has, has nothing to do with religion and ideology. It's all about the undergarments. It is hot. And they're wearing the wrong clothes. And they're upset. But can you imagine this poor white Jew jogging on wilderness way and he sees the big, fat Mercedes Benz with the tinted windows and the ACs on. And the Ethiopian eunuch's wearing a fine linen suit. And he's come barreling down the highway. And the dust is kicking up behind the tires. And God says, to hitch the ride. He's not going to pick me up. I'm a thug. He's going to think I'm a robber. He's thinking I'm going to set him up for 
uh, I'm going to steal from them. I'm going to beat them up. You can only imagine the thoughts that were going through Philip's mind at this point. I'm white. He's black. I'm poor. He's rich. He's upper class. I'm down here. I'm a common, simple person. Think about the insurmountable divisions that existed between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But did Philip back down? No. Did Philip feel insecure? No. Did Philip run for cover? No. Did Philip argue with God? No. Did he debate with God? No. Did he lay out a case as to why somebody else in the church would be better suited to represent the church or the gospel of Christ and share it? No, there was none of this. It says that Philip seized a moment that he grabbed at the chance, that he took hold without hesitation, without thought. I long for the day that my relationship with Jesus is that close. Because truth be told, I debate. See, I'm a little jaded. I've been burnt. I've been worked over. So there's hesitation on my part. There's an inter-debate going on. I trusted you. I obeyed you, I listened to you, I sacrificed for you, I served you, I loved you, I longed for these people, I prayed for these people, I labored, I've been jaded. And I'm sure there's more than one or two in here this morning that have that debate, that argument. Maybe you're on the other side and you look into the mirror and you say, oh, God couldn't possibly, false humility. Like, that. God couldn't possibly use me. Who am I? That's just an excuse. You look in the mirror and you feel insecure. I couldn't ever do that. I'm not trained. I'm not equipped. I don't know how to open up my mouth and talk about Jesus. I don't know how to share the gospel. Let that be a motivation. Pick up a book, read it, apply it, pray through it. Don't let what seems to be insurmountable obstacles keep you from taking that step of faith, walking that way of obedience, and experiencing the great joy of seeing the light click on. You know what I'm talking about? You've prayed, you've labored, you've shared the gospel. You're not even where, you're not even at the good part yet. You're locked and you're loaded. You're 10 minutes away from really letting them have the, the zinger, the real good stuff. God says, enough's enough. Hits the switch, the lights go on. The tears begin to roll. The burden on their shoulders falls off. You can see it. You can smell it. You can taste it. It's like, Aaron, it's like honey on the lips. You can see that 
life changed right before your eyes. You want to get hooked on something good. You want to get hooked on something clean. You want to get hooked on something pure. You want to get hooked on something that makes you feel like you have never felt before. Jot that name down. Begin praying for an opportunity. Bring a friend with you or buy a book and grab that opportunity. Carpe diem. Seize that moment. It's not how eloquent. It's not how elaborate. It's just simply saying that Jesus loves you. It's as simple as saying that Jesus wants you. It's as simple as saying your sins are forgiven. It's as simple as saying he laid his life down on the cross for you. Because there's nothing you could ever do. There's nothing you could ever say. There's no life good enough for God's stamp of approval. It's so simple. It's so pure. But it's the most powerful word that's in your soul and mine. Don't miss that opportunity. I know we're getting late, and in conclusion, as our worship band comes forward or our worship group comes forward, is that know this, that the gospel is something that we go from church to share. I shared a brief part of my testimony. Think about how, lack of a better word, how many more people would be in church today if we just didn't sit back on our haunches and wait for the guests or the and I'm not putting it, please don't misunderstand me but there's more to it than waiting for the guest and the visitor and there's far too much at stake for us to maintain a personal comfort zone What we sing week in and week out and what we hear week in and week out is equipment that God puts in our heart and our soul because he knows we're going to be out there 
Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and we're going to be at the crossroads of life, and we're going to hear things. My family's falling apart. I lost my job. My kids strung out on dope. I hate myself. Nobody at school accepts me. I'm cutting myself. I'm hitting the coke straw. I'm shooting up the meth and the heroin. We're going to hear things at the big Y in the post office, in the workplace, at the coffee shop. It's not all fine and dandy at Starbucks. We just have to have the sensitivity that Philip had. And it just begins with one word. Availability. Father, we praise you and we worship you and we exalt you and we thank you first and foremost for the work that you've done in our life. God, that you sought us and you bought us and you call us sons and daughters of the high most God. We are so grateful and thankful for the treasure and the inheritance that you have poured out into our lives. I pray, God, that we would not be guilty of being hoarders, of keeping it to ourselves, of celebrating alone, of walking through those gates in heaven, having never shared the good news with another person. We pray, O oh God, that your spirit would lead us, your spirit would use us, and that we would honor Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Just stand and worship with us this last.